Welcome to the White Hatter Parenting in an Online World podcast. And on this podcast, we're going to be taking a more holistic approach to online safety in an enlightening and not frightening way, based upon facts and not fear. We will provide parents, caregivers, and educators with real-world examples, experiences, and evidence-based research that will help to keep our kids safer emotionally, psychologically, physically, and even socially when they're navigating today's online world. Let's get after it, shall we? Well, welcome everyone, Darren with the White Hatter team, and I'm excited to be your host. And on this podcast episode, we're going to be talking about cyberbullying or what we like to call digital peer aggression. And this topic deserves so much attention that we're going to split it up into two podcasts. And the earlier podcast, podcast episode number 14, we talked about the who, what, where, when, how, and why of cyberbullying. So on this podcast episode, we are going to look at what parents and schools can do to cope with this challenge. As always, this podcast is not about telling you how to parent your child because you're the parent, not us. This podcast is all about bringing to your attention what we've seen to be best practices when it comes to parenting in today's online world. So what can parents do if their child is being targeted by a cyber bully? In podcast episode 14, we noted that according to Dr. Hinduja and Dr. Patchen, there are two primary reasons why youth are not disclosing that they're being targeted. Number one, victims don't want to be blamed for the behavior and are often afraid that parents will simply remove the source of the problem, their computer or their cell phone. And number two, victims feel that adults are ill-equipped or unwilling to intervene on their behalf in a calm and rational manner to resolve the situation. This is why it is so important that when your child does disclose to you that they are the target of a cyberbullying, you do not overreact as a parent by immediately banning your child from access to the internet via computer or cell phone. Although this may seem to be the easiest thing to do to deal with the issue, it does not ultimately deal with the underlying issues that your child has been targeted. If your child believes that you will not react calmly and in a rational manner to resolve the situation, the disclosure will not take place and disclosure is the first step in the recovery process. Like it or not, internet access is an indispensable component to 21st century adolescence. And if your child believes that the banning of internet or tech access will be the primary step you will take to deal with the issue, they will not disclose and they will continue to suffer alone. In their most recent 2022 research, Dr. Hinduja and Dr. Justin Patchen found, number one, positive parenting in the form of warmth, structure, and support were linked to lower bullying and cyberbullying incidences. Number two, negative parenting in the form of rejection, chaos, and coercion were associated with higher levels of bullying and cyberbullying. And number three, parental influences has a stronger impact on cyberbullying as compared to traditional bullying. In fact, Dr. Patchen stated in an article, and I quote, Our research regularly reveals that adolescents care what their parents think when it comes to what they're doing online. Almost a decade ago, we published a paper that showed perceived parent and school punishment was associated with lower involvement in cyberbullying. More recently, we published another paper which found that middle schoolers were less likely to participate in bullying and cyberbullying when they believed their parents would punish them for those behaviors. In fact, perception of parental punishment was more influential on constraining their behavior than possible punishment from educators or from the police, end quote. So what should a parent do once the child has disclosed that they're being targeted? Here's some of our thoughts. Number one, remain calm and use choice speech such as, I know that it must have been hard for you to come and tell me what is going on, but I'm very glad you did. So let's talk about how we're going to deal with this challenge together. Number two, 
Ensure that your child is safe and that you will do everything in your power to keep them safe. Number three, figure out how far the bullying has actually gone. Number four, collect all evidence to support the fact that your child is being cyberbullied. This includes screen capturing all text, all direct messages, voicemails, emails, anything and everything. This can be as simple as teaching your child to screen capture and print and then paste it into a Word document. And if you don't know how to do this, head over to YouTube, search how to screen capture on a phone and a computer and learn together. Number five, is the targeted bullying something that can be handled by your child by changing their behavior, such as not communicating with the bully or blocking the bully? It is important that we foster agency and resilience so that our kids can learn themselves how to positively deal with low levels of rude, mean, or disturbing behavior. This is a needed skill throughout life. Number six, if the bullying took place on a website or app, report the abuse to that site or app. Remind your child how to block the, the person from contacting them online. Number seven, if they have their, had their email or social network hacked, have your child change their password immediately. Number eight, consider contacting the parents of the cyberbully. I would recommend that this be done in person and ensure that you bring copies of the evidence mentioned earlier to support your allegations. Remember, however, that the other parent will likely be defensive, so ensure that you stay calm and professional and explain that you want to work with them to identify a reasonable solution to the situation. Dr. Englander, an expert in aggression reduction, recommends the following script to help reduce the inevitable defenses of the bullying's parent. And I quote, I need to show you what your son or daughter typed to my son or daughter online. He may have meant it as a joke, but my child was really devastated by the messaging. A lot of kids type things online that they would never dream of saying in person, and it can all be easily misinterpreted. End quote. Number nine. Contact your child's school and speak with the principal and let them know what is going on, what actions you've taken to deal with the issue, and the expectations you have on the school if the cyberbullying continues to take place during school hours. Number 10. Contact the internet service provider or cell phone carrier of the cyberbully and let them know that your child has been targeted using their service. Again, be prepared to provide copies of the evidence to support your allegations, which they may ask for. Number 11. If the content of the cyberbullying involves threats, criminal harassment, or hate crimes, then contact the police immediately. Again, be prepared to provide copies of the evidence to support your allegations. And number 12, seek a civil remedy if appropriate and reasonable to do so. Now, what if my child is the actual bully? No parent wants to hear that their child is the one doing the bullying. Sometimes there's an assumption that only bad kids are bullies when in fact, it can be any child, including those who appear to be well-behaved. So what should a parent or caregiver do if their child has been identified as the bully? Number one, talk to your child in an open and direct way about what has been brought to your attention specific to their actions and that you want to hear the why from their perspective. Number two, once you understand the why, now you can move ahead with the physical, emotional, psychological, and social options to help them cope with their behaviors. Sometimes this could include professional counseling. Number three, encourage your child to take an empathetic look at what their target was experiencing because of their actions. Ask the question, can you think of a time when you felt left out or sad because somebody wasn't being nice to you? That feeling you had then are the same feelings your classmate is having because of what you're saying and doing to them now. Number four, 
Sometimes youth who bully model aggressive or unkind interactions that they see within their home environment. It is important for parents and caregivers to think about how they speak to their children, their partners, and others. How you handle anger is important as a parent or caregiver. If parents and caregivers allow yelling, name-calling, and other less-than-desirable behavior to take place in the home, it will likely be modeled outside of the home by your child as well. Number four, don't treat all bullying behavior like a nail and hit it with a hammer. There should be appropriate, reasonable, balanced, and incremental consequences to their bullying behavior. Number six, once your child understands that they made a mistake, they also need to be given the opportunity to apologize in person. This is about learning how to take responsibility for their actions and wanting to make things right. And number seven, remember to monitor for further such behavior. Let teachers know about what you've done and that you want to be notified immediately if they see such behavior taking place once again. So we just talked about parental strategies, but what can schools do? A group of elementary school students in Pickering, Ontario apologized for posting a video on YouTube mocking a schoolmate who had suffered a stroke. A 14-year-old student in Saskatoon High School found a video on the internet that showed herself being beaten up. In Burlington, Ontario, students are alleged to have set up a homophobic student-targeted webpage that asked participants to write what they thought about a specific student at their school. Students posted hundreds of anonymous abusive messages on that site. In 2007, 19 students at a school in Ontario were suspended after posting sexually explicit, derogatory, and demeaning remarks about their principal, and the school took the position that these students' actions violated the school's code of conduct. Often, we will hear school officials, parents, and even students state that if the cyberbullying does not take place on school grounds, or if it takes place outside of the school's jurisdiction, then the school has no part to play in dealing with the issue. To put it simply, parents, students, and even some teachers believe that schools do not have the right to intervene when the cyberbullying takes place on a home computer or cell phone off a school property. However, Canadian jurisprudence cannot be any clearer on this issue. In her excellent book, Confronting Cyberbullying, Canadian internet legal expert Dr. Shaheen Sharif stated, and I quote, If there is a nexus or a connection to the school via peers, teachers, or school property, then there's an absolute right to intervene, end quote. Like it or not, teachers, parents, and students need to understand that the learning environments in today's wired world is no longer restricted to the school. The Canadian courts have held that a school has the right to impose school discipline for conduct that occurs off a school property. When a student turns to bullying behavior, there exists a legal responsibility under common law, statutory duties such as the School Act, the School's Code of Conduct, Human Rights Code, the Charter of Human Rights and Freedoms, as well as the Criminal Code, for the school to respond, especially where there is a direct nexus to the school. For schools not to act when there is a clear nexus could place them in a possible position to be held liable in an actual claim of negligence if they do not quickly act to protect a student from bullying. Canadian law places on teachers a duty of care that is known as in loco parentis. What this means is, is that a teacher has a duty of care to the student under their supervision as if they were standing in place of that student's parent. It is because of this legal doctrine that teachers should be cognizant of the fact that one clearly established Canadian legal jurisprudence is the legal responsibility of educators to ensure that the school does not create a hostile, deliberately dangerous, or poisoned environment which prevents a conductive and conducive learning environment for the student.
Some Canadian court cases that support the fact that school boards and employees, being teachers and principals, are held to a higher standard of care include a Supreme Court decision called Myers versus Peel County Board of Education, where they found in order to teach, school officials must provide an atmosphere that encourages learning. Another court case from 1998, known as Regina versus MRM, they found a school board has a duty to maintain a positive school environment for all persons served by it. Remember, each cyberbullying incident should be based on its individual facts and circumstances. To impose school discipline, there must be sufficient evidence after a full and thorough investigation that the online threat or intimidation was initiated by a particular identifiable student. This is why it is so important for victims to screen capture everything. It is important to note that the courts in Canada have voiced their concern about the implications of bullying and intimidation in our schools. The courts have indicated that given the number of bullying cases, a strong message needs to be sent to the community that this type of behavior will not be condoned. The Supreme Court of Canada said that the threat like cyberbullying is, and I quote, a tool of intimidation, end quote, which is designed to instill a sense of fear in its target. The court has asserted that the aim and purpose of the criminal code are to protect citizens against fear and intimidation. According to Dr. Shaheen Sharif, and I quote, Failure to supervise or protect students properly can result in an actual tort of negligence or unintentional, which is an unintentional tort. The onus is on the student to bring the claim, for example, as a victim of bullying or cyberbullying to establish four criteria. Number one, that there was a duty of care. Number two, that the plaintiff experiences a tangible injury. Number three, that the injury was foreseeable by the educator and could have been prevented. And number four, that the injury was caused by the actions or omissions of the educator. Hence, in cases of peer-to-peer -peer cyberbullying, a victim might report the bullying to the school several times, and the teacher may wave it off as nothing serious or tell the student the problem is a parental responsibility." End quote. According to the Canadian law firm Evan and Phillips, in order for an actual tort or negligence case to be brought against a school, the, the four criteria that must be established are, number one, a nexus between the school's conduct and the student's injury. Number two, a breach of a legal duty was the proximate cause of the plaintiff's injury. Number three, school officials must have been found to have acted with deliberate indifference. And number four, the school engaged in intentional reckless conduct, which shocks the consciousness. Now, this law firm further stated that schools will not be liable for any unforeseeable event or for unforeseeable intervening events, and that boards can be liable for negligence through vicarious liability, and that school officials must have been found to have acted with deliberate indifference, and schools are not required to constantly supervise students. Parenting note, a 2021 University of California Davis study stated the following when it comes to the ability of schools to effectively deal with bullying and peer aggression. And I quote, the reason for the typically low success rates, we believe, is that aggressive behavior accrues social rewards, and to a degree that leads some to betray their closest friends. Even the most successful prevention programs are unable to alter the aggressive behaviors of popular bullies who use cruelty to gain and maintain status. The popularity contests in secondary schools encourage peer bullying, end quote. So how can principals and teachers play a part? Knowing that there are criminal, civil, and human rights consequences for not acting when a student discloses that they're being targeted by others in the school, what can principals and teachers do to protect the child and shield themselves, the school, and the school board from criminal and civil consequences? 
Number one, ensure that the school has a policy and a code of conduct in place that speaks to these issues, which clearly mention threats, intimidation, and harassment via mobile and wireless internet technologies. Within the policy, there should be clear consequences outlined for failure to comply with the school policy or code of conduct. Some consideration should also be given to having both the student and parent sign the code of conduct. It is crucial for schools to establish and maintain a school climate of respect and integrity where any violation of the code of conduct will result in informal or formal sanctions. Number two, educate students, parents, and teachers about the seriousness of cyberbullying and bullying. Where a, number three, where a school administrator or teacher is informed about an incident of cyberbullying involving a student, early intervention is a must. Number four, conduct a thorough investigation process, which should include trying to get as many details about the incident as possible. Does the student have any fear about coming to school? Asking the student to prepare a written statement of the event. What kind of cyberbullying took place? Obtain copies of all relevant emails and or names of the chat rooms and date and time and descriptions of the chat, including full headers. Explore the identity of the alleged cyberbully. What was the background or history of the event that led to the cyberbullying, if any? Is it an isolated incident or an ongoing situation? Does the student know or suspect that there are other victims? Interview any witnesses to the incident or other students copied on emails or texts. Depending on the type of cyberbullying, interview the student responsible. If the cyberbullying involved threats to cause bodily harm or other types of serious threats, connect with the police and have them get involved. If the incident doesn't merit criminal invention, interventions, then develop a response that is commensurate to the harm and disruption created within the school environment. Meet with students, victims, and their parents to outline what you have done and what their expectations may be to deal with the incident. And number five, think about having the school register with a stop a bully type of reporting program or here in British Columbia, the Erase Bullying Reporting Portal. Now, at the conclusion of the above noted school investigation, the principal must now decide what actually occurred and who was at fault. If the cyberbullying took place off a school property, then the principal must assess whether there is a sufficient nexus or a link to the school to impose school discipline if needed. Remember, principals and teachers have a legal duty to the extent possible to make prompt, timely, and reasonable action to deal with issues of cyberbullying when it negatively affects a student's learning environment. Responding quickly and effectively to allegations of cyberbullying will serve to reduce a teacher's, school's, and school board's legal liability and assist in the creation of a safe learning and teaching environment for all students. Now, taking action criminally, civilly, or via human rights should only be considered in the most extreme cases, given the associated consequences that can take place. First and foremost, we believe that education is key and that students should be made aware that cyberbullying can have criminal consequences and explain to them what those consequences are. Cyberbullying can have civil consequences and explain to them what those consequences could be. Cyberbullying can have human right consequences and explain to them what those consequences could be. And that there's a difference between free speech as guaranteed under the Canadian Charter of Rights and the and defamation as it pertains to libel and slander, and that schools can take action specific to cyberbullying that takes place off a school property if they can draw a nexus to the school and explain to them what those nexuses are. We believe that consequences to actions when it comes to cyberbullying should be incremental in nature, depending upon the nature of the cyberbullying, ranging from calling parents, counseling, expressions of condemnation, behavioral contracts, detention, suspension, change of school placement, expulsion, and in some extreme cases, 
even criminal charges. Parenting tip. As Abram Maslow stated, and I quote, it is tempting if the only tool you have is a hammer to treat everything as if it were a nail, end quote. In our opinion, criminal, civil, and human right actions are a hammer, and as stated earlier, should only be used in extreme circumstances. Now, another avenue that we have seen used for low-level first-time cyberbullies is something that is called restorative justice. This is where the peer aggressor faces their intended victim outside the court process with a, with a trained restorative justice facilitator. We have seen some amazing positive results take place in these sessions, which ultimately offers closure to the victim. The benefit to restorative justice is that it becomes an educational option that can be used as a teaching method to help peer aggressors realize the impact of their online statements. We also believe that changing a school's culture and promoting students to become upstanders rather than bystanders specific to peer policing of this issue can help drive change when it comes to overcoming this challenge. In fact, research here in Canada by academic researchers at Prevnet has found that peer intervention of a friend being targeted usually stops the bullying behavior in most circumstances very quickly. However, for this to be an effective strategy, a school needs the buy-in from both students and teachers. In 2020, James Norman, UNESCO's chair on tackling bullying in schools and cyberspace, released a paper titled Tackling Bullying from the Inside Out, Shifting Paradigms in Bullying Research and Interventions. In this paper, Mr. Norman argued very successfully that the best way for schools to tackle bullying and cyberbullying is through a whole school community approach, which includes leadership and change management specific to this issue, policy development that is based upon best research and best practices, curriculum planning, development and delivery based upon good evidence-based research, school ethos that is based upon the school's policy and curriculum, student voice in the development of policy and curriculum, student support services and partnership with parents, teachers, counselors, police and the local community. We agree that such a holistic approach is the best way to tackle the challenges surrounding bullying and cyberbullying. An approach that is inclusive of students will be far more successful because there will be buy-in from the end user, that being the student. Parenting tip. One message that we deliver to educators, parents, and law enforcement when it comes to cyberbullying, just telling a teen to delete the message with no other coping strategies doesn't remove the emotional, psychological, physical, and social effects to the intended target. There needs to be an accessible wraparound approach taken by the school and parent that will support the targeted team cope with this challenge. More importantly, we adults need to act on the support rather than just paying it lip service or just posting anti-bullying posters. Remember that although schools do have a part to play when it comes to dealing with cyberbullying and digital peer aggression, as parents we also have an important part to play as well. The causes of cyberbullying and digital peer aggression are multifactorial, so too are the ways that we, schools, families, law enforcement, go about preventing and dealing with the issue. To stay current on good research associated with cyberbullying and digital peer aggression, Dr. Samir Hinduja and Dr. Justin Patchen created a free resource called the International Journal of Bullying Prevention. A link will be posted in the description area of this podcast. As we always say in all our parenting caregiver programs, be your child's best parent and not their best friend when it comes to their online world. There is a difference. However, to do this, parents and caregivers need to educate themselves as well, and this is what this podcast is all about. Remember, parents, you're not alone in this digital journey. We are here to help. 
don't forget to check out our website at www.thewhitehatter.ca and our White Hatter Facebook page, where there's just a ton of free content to help parents and caregivers parent in today's online world. As well, on our website, we outline all the programs that we offer to schools, families, youth groups, and even businesses when it comes to social media safety and digital literacy. Now, stay strong, be that mentor and digital sheepdog. And from the White Hatter team, thank you for listening. And we look forward to our next podcast. Have a great week, everybody.